Welcome to the podcast. This is the Dance PT podcast, hosted by moi, Jenna Cantor, performer, hachikapow, and physical therapist. In our interviews, we will dive into all the things that can regularly help you. That's right. As a dance physical therapist with your patients. That's right. Please note that the purpose of this podcast is entertainment and is not here to replace any medical advice. That being said, we are all here to support each other, which leaves me at the most important message I want to leave you with. You are enough and never change yourself for anyone. That's right. You heard me. Be you, and that will enable you to help others the best way possible. Let's end with more scatting. That's right. Jenna out. What's up, guys? Dance physical therapist. If you're on live, write down live. If you're catching the replay, write replay. So that being said, I have Jake Manley here, who, which is so amazing because the last time I did an interview on here, oh no, he didn't do it. But uh, I did an interview recently where someone did like their credentials, and I joked saying I got to do my credentials and then write cat mom. And so I did it this time, and Jake didn't do his credentials. It doesn't work as well. Like the comedic timing, I got to partner up. I should have like planned more ahead. It's okay, you guys. This is Jake Manley. Jake, so thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me, Jenna. This guy is—he is doing a podcast right now. Tell me about your podcast. Uh, so it's called Don't Break a Leg. You know. It's very punny, I guess, to some extent. Uh, but it's it's a mashup of myself and then a PT out in Texas, Danielle Farzanigan, who I think is also part of the dance PT group. Danielle, um, you hop on here, say hey. All right, continue. <laughs> and um, we so we had linked up, I guess, back in November. I was on the Clinical Athlete podcast to talk about working with performing artists because my background is much more like barbell sports and kind of like field sports. And, um, but I kind of found myself in the, the realm of performing artists and she liked what I said on the podcast, she emailed me, we started just kind of like randomly talking about PT and rehab. And then one day I was like, Hey, do you want to do a podcast? And so the whole goal is to try to link up, uh, dancers and then clinicians with just more modern concepts that are out there and, uh, try to demystify a lot of the things like scary things like barbell training and whatnot. So, yeah. Kind of I just blends that. blends our my background of like strength sports and Danielle's background of dance and our mutual love for performing arts and uh, so it's it's interesting it's it's also interesting coming from a place where I don't really have a dance background myself uh, so I just dance at weddings usually when I'm pretty drunk um, so it's it's interesting. I love that uh, this is a formal request to post a YouTube link of you dancing at a wedding after this is done. Anyway, that being. <laughs> Uh, Let me see if I can find embarrassing Facebook photos of myself. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be so great. You'd be like, this is my dance technique. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so now that people know about your podcast, which you guys definitely check that out. Don't break a leg. Great, great podcast. I would love you to tell people about your lack of dance background and what you are doing now for patients. Um, so it's, it's interesting because though I don't ha really have a, a true like dance background, like I didn't, I didn't grow up in the studio. I didn't take ballet when I was four years old. 
Um, I've never worn point shoes before. I've never taken a bar class. Uh, but I did do a two-year academic program to work with performing artists. So when I was in grad school, I did a double grad major, I guess. So I was doing a DPT and then a master's in athletic training at the same time. And I wanted to do a non-traditional clinic, something that was completely different than anything I'd ever done, something that would make me kind of step out of my comfort zone and just be exposed to, you know, different athletes, different people, different perspectives. And um, our master's of athletic training program at Shenandoah University had created a performing arts uh, medicine graduate program. And there was a clinic for the the conservatory. They had an athletic training room and they would... staffed it with a, a couple athletic trainers and PTs, and then they would do you know rehab as needed for dancers, musicians, musical theater majors, that kind of thing. And I was like, hey, can I do a PT clinical with you guys? I just wanna do something different. And I did. And I got to work with the conservatory personnel and, and work backstage and just do a lot of things that I didn't expect to do. Um, it was very different going from like, a field sports and strength sports world of like powerlifting and like wrestling and football. And then going into a training room where I'm working primarily with dancers was it's, it was like the antithesis of everything that I've ever done my entire life. And um, it was fun. I loved it. I connected well with everyone that I worked with. And then um, the two clinicians that I worked with guilted me into pursuing the graduate program. And so my third year of PT school, I added on like another, 15, 18 credit program to just specialize more in working with the performing arts. I love it. I love so it. So my first summer taking that course was like a, it was, it was a one credit class called dance terminology. And it was literally the hardest course I took my entire grad school career because it was, I had to learn French. I went from like absolutely zero knowledge of dance to having to know every different way to say jump in French. And then like our, so the way that the, the instructor had set up the course is she would send us like these essentially like PowerPoint slides and there would be like six minute videos and our homework was she would ask questions and the questions were basically just timestamps and she'd go, what's going on right here? And it, you'd have to like scroll to like four minutes and 32 seconds and, and I would just be like, is, is that like a pirouette? Is, is it a PK? I don't know what the hell she's doing. And then, you know, I get my my homework back and everything would be marked up and, and I'd just be like, Oh, that's what she was asking. So it's just like this very challenging kind of like movement analysis trial by fire where everything was in French and um, you know, it was all, it was all uphill from there. So but it, was, yeah. it was fun. It was fun. I love that. I love that very much. I, I, I just like your, your background that you didn't, didn't have the background in dance. We actually, talked about this briefly when I I was interviewed recently for your podcast Mm -hmm. and we, we went off a little bit briefly on being accepted amongst our community of physical therapists as a non with a non-dancer background. You said it took a bit, it took a bit, but now you're in, you're good, but it did take a bit. It was a bit of a journey to be accepted amongst other physical therapists. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think in the dance community in general, there's a little bit of hesitancy with medical professionals that don't have a background in dance, because I think that fear of, is this person going to take me away from doing the things that I love is always going to be kind of prevalent. Um, And it's, I think it's probably the same with maybe like some clinicians where it's just like, oh, you don't have a dance background. Like you must not know what you're doing. 
But I, I think when you can learn to speak the language and you start understanding some of the terminology and you recognize that even though it may be in a different like style or genre, movement is still movement. And all the things that I learned at school apply to that population. Um, and as well as like the interpersonal skills and humanizing uh, and just like connecting with people, like all that stuff's applicable. And so I think that, you know, it's, it's weird, those interactions sometimes when I go out to the front to greet a 14 year old ballerina and her mother, and they've been told that I'm the dance guy and I walk out and I'm like 350 pounds and, you know, deadlift like six times their body weight. And they're just like, there's no way in hell this person has ever danced in their entire life. And so there's always like a little bit of hesitancy. And then we sit down and we start talking, you know, and I'll joke around with them. I'll show them my turnout, which is actually pretty good. Oh, and, really? um, oh you have natural rotation. I did, never did. Yeah, I'm, I have my legs are pretty, pretty externally rotated. So my turnout's pretty good. I do grip a little bit. So it's not like perfect. Danielle criticizes me sometimes, but I still think it's better than hers. Um, but I think, I think once you start making jokes and once you start using terminology and I start asking questions, you know, like, you know, they start talking about their knee hurting and like, oh, well, let's, let's do a plie, like go into a wide second. Let me see a plie. Let me see a grand plie. Do some four star stuff. Let's go into like passe. Let me see, you know, just rattle off terminology. And the look on their mother's face is always hilarious because they're just like, <laughs> you know, who is but, <laughs> like, but like once you once you get in and and you know you connect with people and you show them that you have a lot of commonalities and that even though you don't necessarily come from that background, if you're passionate and you want to learn more about what they're doing and you show interest and you invest in them as a person and as a patient and you build that therapeutic relationship, there's no reason that you can't do that. Yeah, and you got so like. <laughs> like from that, it's led to doing more stuff with Shenandoah University, helping out when I can with them. Um, I'll be teaching a grad course for their performing arts their or performing arts health and wellness program. I think nice. I'm going to do a strength and conditioning course for them uh, for grad students starting in January. I was able to speak at I Adams and do a lecture for strength and conditioning for uh, for dancers. And I think it's as I've kind of like slowly grown in this world and connected and network with more people. Um, one, I realized that this is the performing arts world in general is incredibly inclusive. And then even though like initially it felt like I was an outsider because it's like I have no relationships with any of you guys. I've never done anything like this in my entire life. Once you're in the, that kind of realm, it's, it's not like that at all. I love um, hearing that because we've spoken about this. I, I've dealt with so many struggles and not the, that smooth on. And uh, unfortunately, not in this group. This group's great. Um, but I also created it. So, of course, I'm going to have that bias. But, like, this is, has been nothing but a a supportive group thus far, which is beautiful. Um, so I, I, I think it's so good to hear that you have experienced not that. So everybody has different journeys, essentially, mm -hmm. is what I want to point out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I Adams. That's amazing. Which one did you, uh, for those who don't know, I Adams stands for International Association of Dance Medicine and Science. I can say it quickly because I've constantly <laughs> telling people to join it. Um, so for that, uh, where were you? Because that's often either overseas. And the last time it was in the States was Texas, I think, because that's the one I went to. Right. So, yeah, I don't know how many I, I just joined last year. So it was up in Montreal. So oh, you did the Can Can Canada, Canada I in, one. I was in Canada. Yeah. Uh, 
it was interesting because I drove there from Virginia because we needed to transport 500 pounds of kettlebells. And so I filled up the backseat of my car with like all these kettlebells for our presentation and I drove to Canada. I did not really think ahead and I forgot that crossing an international border would mess with my phone access. Oh, I and so I, I, I was GPSing my way to Montreal. And once I crossed the border, like my, my GPS cut out. I had no, I had no service. That totally happened to my husband and I. <laughs> the map, we went to Canada for our honeymoon. Yeah. The map had saved luckily. But when I got to Montreal, because the stereotype is that like Montreal is always doing construction, the exit that I was supposed to take was, was blocked off. And because there was no service, I couldn't reroute. So I'm like, it's literally like, like 1145, like 1215 at night. And I'm driving through this city. Everything is in French. I have no idea where the hell I'm going, trying to find this hotel. And I drove around for like 45 minutes. Eventually, I found a McDonald's um, because, you know, I recognized that sign. You got their and Wi-Fi. I used their French Wi-Fi, and I was able to find my way to the hotel. And I got there just in time because they had already given my room away. And they only had like one room left at the hotel. So You're like, yes, please give me that room. Thank you. Yeah, it was. It was no way they could call you and say, "Hey, are you coming?" Because you had no service. <laughs> it probably wouldn't have worked on my phone anyway, even if they tried. Yeah. So. Yeah. That that literally, we went, we honeymooned in Canada, mm -hmm. um, for you know the TV show The Office. Mm -hmm. So we went to Niagara Falls, just like Jim and, Jim and Pam. Yep. And so we're like, you're going to go there. It was great. Uh, but we dealt with that exact same issue. Went to a hotel to get Wi-Fi to be able to get directions again to get to the place. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, I love that you that you were able to go to Kinika. Um, really great place. And you got to present there. It's not easy to get in there, you guys, regarding presenting for I Adam. So that is a very big deal that he got to do that. And I love that you came with all these weights. Just like, I could just imagine walking in, like, <laughs> you know, and everyone else is like stretching their legs up, you know, in conversation. Yeah, very different personalities, um, uh, outward appearances. Okay, that being said, what kind of discouraging words did you experience along the way? And I'm I'm focusing on the negative because clearly there's a positive result. Look where you are now. But what kind of things did you uh, hear that were not helpful along the way that you just went um, moving on? I, I I don't know so much that it was like like necessarily like bad or negative. But I think there was a lot of people that were just like, why are you adding this in? Like, it just seems so random. Mm. Um, and like, what do you, why would you want to work with dance? Right. Cause like a lot of the people that I went to school with, um, we had done similar rotations like at Exos. I did a stint down there. Uh, I spent the 2017 season with the Washington Redskins and interns. So I worked in the NFL briefly yeah. for athletic training. Um, and so it, it just always seemed like my path was going to be more of that, like maybe pro sports kind of direction. Um, it just kind of fit my background with like more of a strength and conditioning bias and um, just what I was interested in. But I don't know. Everyone was just like, you're crazy for adding in another grad program. You're crazy for trying to do this whole like dance thing. It seems like a really weird, like niche population. Like, why would you, why are you even interested in it? 
And um, I think that was more it. I don't know that there was a lot of like negativity about it, but more just like confusion and and like, why are you gonna put yourself through another 15 credits of, of school for this? So like, like is it really gonna help? Thing. You got the hidden naysaying, not like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. I wanted to go into the idea of differences between you working with sports and dance because dance technically is not considered a sport. Why? Why? It's my best friend calling me, of course. <laughs> call me in a second. Just watch. He's going to do it again. His name is Nate Sawyer. He is a stage manager, and I'm totally calling him out in the middle of this interview. You'd be like, shut up. <laughs> Okay, so um, so I just want to differentiate that these two movements because I got mm -hmm. inspired as you were talking. So Russian deadlift. So that's where, for those who don't know, and I hope I'm on the same page because I always forget the names of things. When you're on a single leg, you hinge forward, one leg goes back, and you're hinging your body forward and coming back up. Mm, uh, uh, Romanian deadlift. Romanian, Romanian. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I was close. It was an R. Yes. So Romanian deadlift versus an arabesque. How are you approaching those differently in your thought process and things you're including, discluding? Uh, I just think that would be an interesting thing to dissect right now. It's a big one. That's a loaded question. I 100% get it. But just for those who don't have the dance background to just start mm -hmm. thinking in that direction, there's not one wrong way to say this. If you forget something, that's totally fine because we know human bodies are layered, but just go for it. So I, I think any, anything like that, and that's that's one of the things that I feel like I do naturally in a clinical setting, mm -hmm. is like in my head I think more like strength and conditioning movements and just like movement patterns versus like true dance, right? Because that's what my bias is. Mm -hmm. So when I see something like an arabesque, right, where we're going up on we're on one leg and we're kind of going into a single leg hip hinge, um, to me that is an RDL, right? The movements are pretty similar. The intent behind them, obviously, the Romanian deadlift for those yes. who don't know, continue. <laughs> um, the intent behind them and like the specifics of how we're going to coach that movement are obviously going to be very different, right? In the dance world, we're trying to get a little bit more like artistic nature to it. We want our lines to look a certain way. Um, and there's probably going to be a tendency, depending on the dancer, to try to get like a little bit more arching through the back to try to hit that, even though that's maybe not what we want. Um, with an RDL, we're not going to have that kind of like upright posture that body body's typically going to be in a straight line as we go down. So like while they are hinging through that leg, we're not getting like the gestures with the arms or, or the legs or anything like that. So there's similar movements, right? Like an RDL would, would more or less look cl close to an arabesque, but the intent behind it is that I'm trying to load up that hip, hamstring, glute to try to get some sort of like strength adaptation. And so a lot of times we'll use a barbell or a kettlebell or dumbbell or even just body weight bands, what have you, to try to elicit, you know, fatigue, muscular fatigue, um, create some sort of like relative level of high intensity to produce enough of like a neurologic stimulus to over time develop adaptation. Um, what whereas, you looking for? Oh, sorry, continue. Go. I was just going to say, whereas like in, in an arabesque, like that's more the expression of all of those base skills that you have, right? So like once you have a foundation of strength, endurance, power, all that, what you're expressing on stage is, you know, the end result of that. So like an RDL would just be, or any exercise, it could be squats, could be deadlifts, anything. That's just helping to build a strength foundation, power foundation, endurance foundation, you know, 
just general physical preparedness to be able to express those things artistically on stage. I love that. And so the whole idea is that when we start working on something like an RDL, it's a good example of when you're talking about arabesque. <laughs> so, so if we are going to keep progressing, we get to where they're doing a lot of weights with the RDL and say, what if their last thing that they're having difficulty with now for that arabesque is that the arch, that, that extension, combining that extension, say they have the flexibility, they have the flexibility in their back to do it to go up, but they don't have the strength. You've already determined that through testing. Hmm. So what do you do with, or changes do you make in an exercise where you start combining and progressing them back to that look that they're trying to get? I think from there, like if we're, if we're explicitly looking for more of like the arch through the low back and trying to develop like spinal erector strength and like endurance and the ability to hold that position, um, it depends. I mean, my exercise selection would probably still be some sort of deadlift variation. You know, we might yeah. move to from a single leg to a double leg, even though it's not, you know, as specific for the arabesque as, a, as an RDL. Yeah. Um, we're able to use like with a bilateral movement, like a, a traditional deadlift or even a sumo deadlift, depending on how we coach it, we can load up more weight. We could add things in like pauses you know, at the knee or something like that to put them in a position where they're going to need to strain against weight and like develop more strength in their, in their spinal rectors. Um, you can even add in something like a, like a good morning, which would be a, you know, you have a spinal load, like a barbell on your back, and then you're going into a kind of like a hip hinge pattern, but there's a little bit more bias to lumbar extension because we're trying to kind of tax those muscles. Um, there's all sorts of things you can do. It's, it really just comes down to, you know, the equipment that you have, the constraints of, of like where you are and what the, the client you're working with is comfortable with. Um, because I certainly would, if someone is adverse or has fears with barbell training, I'm probably going to use something different like a kettlebell or find some other ways to load them where they feel comfortable and where that movement is meaningful to them. Right. Cause even though barbell movements, I mean, I bias and I use them a lot. If someone hasn't bought into that, I'm not going to force that upon them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. It's so good to hear your thought process and how it works. It works, guys. I mean, this is the whole idea in general. I mean, physical therapy is cross training. And so mm -hmm. the stuff you're talking about with the barbells. Yeah, absolutely. I had a student in my 1.0 dance PT program already treating already treating Broadway performers. He's a great human. And he just really struggled not thinking he was there yet because he didn't have the dance background. And through it, he, yeah, I got the vocab and all this stuff, <laughs> you know, but he was like, okay, my thought process wasn't as off as I thought, you know, um, it, it's, it, there's, there's such a separation, I think that we make of, it has to be this dance background, but that's just not the case. And we still don't have enough of us treating dancers out there. We really don't. Uh, yeah. We are, it is it is too small of a community. And honestly, right now, with there being less access, people being stuck in their homes, depending on even if you're in Buttfuck, Egypt, Ohio, man, <laughs> uh, that is opening up doors for people who also live in Buttfuck, Egypt, Ohio, and have access to no one else. So that's a, that's a very very big deal, even more so during COVID, because. People don't want to be traveling. They don't. That's just not an option. If they are in, if you're in a place and you've been there for a year and everyone there has zero, 
has, has, has is safe. Everybody's been tested. Everyone's clean and clear for COVID. Guess who? They're a hundred percent first choice of a physical therapy is going to be yes, somebody who lives in that exact same area. So if you are there and you know dance PT, boom, it's amazing. Anyway, I digress. Jake, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else you want to add to what we're saying just on this topic regarding? not having that dance background and, and if they want to treat dancers? I, I think with anything, it doesn't really matter what your field is. At the end of the day, we have to remember that we're treating another human being. Yeah. And so the most important thing is, is being able to connect with that person in front of you, right? Like there's always gonna be something that you don't fully understand. There's gonna be some sort of miscommunication that's bound to happen. But at the end of the day, as long as that they know that you are trying to be the best human that you can be and that you are invested in them and that you care about what's going on, it doesn't matter what your background is, right? It's like the, I think it's the Maya Angelou quote. <sighs> People don't remember what you say or what you do. They remember how you made them feel. Yep. And so that's kind of my whole thing. The better, the better at humaning that you can be with another human the better humans you're going to be from humanizing with each other. So uh, if that makes any sense. That's freaking beautiful. Let's get it. That's gorgeous. <laughs> We're so ending on that note. You guys, <laughs> you guys, if you are a person who does not have a dance background, just write, I can do it down below. Just write, I can do it down below. Thank you so much for coming on, Jake. I really appreciate you coming on. And what, and guys, if you found this to be helpful in any bit, in any way at all, just write, thank you. Let Jake know that he has helped you. Oh, also, I have, I do have my tutu. I forgot he to has put it on. Guys, like this, um, I, I feel like we should do a vote in the group about you submitting and posting a special dance choreographed by you or maybe Danielle, oh your best partner, um, for you to post. See, got to thank you. <laughs> so, so uh, I think you should definitely create a ballet. It can be 16 counts. 16 counts. We'll take 16 counts. Whew, that might be 16 too many for me. Okay, fine. Eight. We'll take a good eight. <laughs> eight <now. laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Have a great day. Bye, Jenna. <laughs>